Hello, and welcome to Harvard Chan This Week in Health. I'm Noah Levitt. Just a quick reminder that we're taking a couple of weeks off. And because we're approaching the Thanksgiving holiday here in the U.S., we wanted to replay two of our favorite Thanksgiving episodes. First up is our in-depth episode on the science of Thanksgiving, featuring Guy Crosby of America's Test Kitchen. Now, if you don't celebrate Thanksgiving or you live outside the United States, we still hope you'll pick up some tips and tricks that you can use to enhance your cooking throughout the year. Next week, we'll be sharing ways you can have a more environmentally friendly Thanksgiving. And we'll be back after the holiday with new episodes on a range of topics, from nuts and heart health to an interview with a researcher exploring how to improve the ways we use big data in public health. But right now, enjoy the science of Thanksgiving. Coming up on an extended edition of Harvard Chan This Week in Health, the science of Thanksgiving. Guy recommend salting the turkey. What it does is it actually dissolves some of the muscle proteins. We'll head inside the kitchen with Guy Crosby of America's Test Kitchen, and he'll explain how you can use science to perfect your holiday feast and why you should always chop your Brussels sprouts. Cutting them, like I said, what damages the cells, right? You know, you won't get the same smell. We've created the chemistry that's now going on here that's creating the flavor. We'll break down that science, plus Crosby shares the age when kids are the pickiest eaters. Hello and welcome to Harvard Chan This Week in Health. I'm Noah Levitt. And I'm Amy Montemiro. Amy, we're just days away from Thanksgiving here in the U.S. And for many people, the holiday feast is one of the most important meals of the year. And that can mean stress. Cooking the turkey perfectly, having the right sides, the list goes on and on. But using food science can actually take out much of the guesswork. That's why we wanted to talk to Guy Crosby, who's an organic chemist turned food scientist. He's an adjunct professor in the Department of Nutrition at the Harvard Chan School and science editor for America's Test Kitchen. And Noah, you recently had the chance to talk with Crosby about a wide range of topics. We did. We chatted for almost an hour in Crosby's kitchen, and were occasionally joined by his wife, Christine, who you'll hear from later in the episode. We covered tips for cooking the perfect turkey, his favorite Thanksgiving side dish, and why the brand of salt you buy really matters. Plus, we stepped into the kitchen with him to learn the science behind perfectly roasted Brussels sprouts. And here's the first part of our conversation where we covered the basics of food science, as well as some tips for turkey. So I just wanted to start broadly. When we talk about like cooking science, what is that? Well, a good question, but of course, it's the application of science to uh, anything that you're doing to food, whether it's preparation or cooking. If you're heating it, if you're, you know, how you want to preserve it, prepare it, serve it, it's all involves science. Almost everything you do. I just, I just gave a lecture last night at the BU gastronomy program, and the whole thing was science in the kitchen. So, I mean, there was almost nothing you do in the kitchen that doesn't involve some kind of science. And so I think one of the reasons why we wanted to do this is that there seems to be kind of more of like a focus among the general public on cooking science and awareness yeah. of it. So like generally, are there kind of certain current trends that are really popular that are really popular now for home cooks or even professional cooks when it comes to cooking science? You know, I think probably people are getting a better appreciation for differences between heat and temperature. I mean, one of the things that we did at America's Test Kitchen was develop and promote use of poaching in oil for fish. And the surprising thing that the editors didn't really realize at the beginning that I explained to them very carefully is that 
you know, if you poach in wine, wine, if you heat it up to a certain temperature, contains twice as much heat um, as olive oil if you, po if you bring it to the same temperature. So it cooks things much faster in the wine than it will in the olive oil. And we did a real simple little test for them where we brought olive oil and wine up to the same temperature and said, put your finger in each one. You know, put it in, as soon as you put it in the water just, or the wine, just burning the olive oil, you could leave it in there. And so it's amazing. Same temperature, completely different amount of heat. Wine, water contains about twice as much heat. So people, I think, are through these kinds of examples learning that temperature's not heat, heat's not temperature, and there's a big difference in how you you know, how you measure how you're cooking food, how you're heating it and controlling the temperature and how long you heat it and to what temperature. You know, I think for most people, obviously, turkey is kind of the centerpiece of the Thanksgiving meal. So it's kind of what you're what you're trying to do, in a sense, is like take out some of the guesswork and stress. Like can can embracing science in the kitchen make Thanksgiving less stressful for people? Well, I think the probably thing that makes it most less stressful is just good planning, right? Thinking ahead, several days ahead of what you're going to make, when you need to make it, what the timing is. So timing is everything. Planning is everything. And I will confess right up front. So I, I normally do nearly all of the cooking here except Thanksgiving. Christine is the Thanksgiving chef here, and she's been doing it for years and loves to do it. So, I mean, she and she, the way I recommended cooking a turkey is not the way she will cook it. And I certainly am not about to tell her how to cook her turkey. But there are things that you can do, like I recommend, um, you know, salting the turkey. Brining has become popular, but it's so messy and it takes such a big volume and people don't have room for it in their refrigerator. But you can salt a turkey under the skin. Uh, but you got to let it set for at least 24 to even 48 hours in the refrigerator so the salt diffuses in, seasons it. But what it does is it actually dissolves some of the muscle proteins. And the dissolved proteins, when, they, when you start to cook the turkey, form a gel, and that holds the water into the turkey. I mean, by dissolving some of the turkey protein, muscle proteins, it loosens them up, so it also you know, increases the tenderness. So if you do that, um, you're going to be able to make it a lot easier to make it come out right because the big problem with cooking turkey is you get white meat and you get dark meat, and they don't cook at the same rate. They're not the same composition. Um, and, and something that I, I got into because it just caught my interest was that you read so many recipes, and they'll say, cook your turkey until the breast is 160, the thigh is 175. They don't come out that way. There's no way you can cook them so one is here and the other is here be great if you could, because you want to cook the breast a little lower than the thigh if you can. But what you've got to do, you have to cool down the rate at which the breast cooks in order to get them to come out to those temperatures. And so when, when, when people are buying the turkey, are there any things that they should keep in mind or look for? Like, is it worth looking for the local organic turkey if you can? Should you buy the pre, you know, you kind of mentioned salting yeah, good over question. What should people look at when they're buying the turkey? People do look at price, that's for sure, and the right weight and how much they want to buy to feed a certain number of people. Uh, whether the turkey is frozen or not, or whether it's been what they call pumped, you know, these it's been pumped with liquids and stuff to moisten them up. So there's all little issues. You've got organic, you've got free range, you've got heritage turkeys. So freezing turkeys is not a bad thing. Or, you know, organic is, is, is a good thing if you're concerned about, you know, how the turkey's been raised and what it's been eating and, you know, if there's any nearby pesticides and things. But on the other hand, you know, processed turkeys that are processed and then refrigerated or frozen uh, you know, on a mass scale, they're not necessarily 
any less quality. Um, you know, people will think the way the turkey's raised may affects and it probably does the overall flavor. But there's not a huge difference. I think the only one where there's a big difference is when they're injecting the turkeys uh, or chickens that they do this, you know, with a lot of fluid. And it does, it adds a lot of moisture, but it also makes them, um, so everything you read makes them rather bland in flavor, you know, and over moist. And you get a lot of water coming out when you roast it and not as, not as flavorful as certainly organic and even regular non pumped turkeys. And so that's a good transition because you talk about, you know, over moist and water running out. So I guess, you know, on Thanksgiving day, you're, you're planning your turkey, you've planned ahead, but invariably issues arise. So what are some common turkey issues people could actually run into on Thanksgiving? Trying to get the breast meat to come out the same as the dark meat, the drums and drumsticks and thighs and stuff like that. Because it's you get you if you can get the thigh a little higher. I mean, and the thigh is you know right in here, right? So it's between the drumstick and the body. That's where you want to check the temperature. That's the most important place. That's the that's the last one to get up there. You want to make sure it's at least 165. But you can take the turkey out as I recommend at 160, and you let it rest for 30 to 40 minutes, and the temperature is going to keep going up. So it'll rise up definitely to a safe temperature of course if you have stuffed it you got to check the stuffing and make sure it gets to 165 you really want to do that because at that temperature you're going to kill all the harmful bacteria within seconds as the breast is going to dry out uh, has less fat less connective tissue um, it's going to dry out sooner because it's exposed so if you want brown crispy skin towards the end you're going to have to sort of once it gets brown enough, shield that breast with either aluminum foil or if you've got a lot of juice in your pan, you can baste the turkey because that will create evaporative cooling that kind of keeps the, the breast cooler than the rest of it, the thigh, you know, the stuffing that you're trying to cook. So getting each one to come out about right, not overcooking the breast, making sure that the rest of it is safe to eat at 165 is, is the big challenge. And a lot of people like really brown, crispy skin. That's another big challenge. So let's talk about that because I'm a, I'm a big crispy skin guy. Generally, a pretty hot oven helps it to, to because what you got to do is you won't get any browning on the skin. This is an important thing for most people to know. You won't get any browning as long as the skin is really moist. Because while the skin is really moist, all that moisture is evaporating. And where does water boil? 212 degrees Fahrenheit. It'll never get hot enough to brown because you have to get the skin up to over 300 Fahrenheit before any browning takes place. So as long as there's lots of moisture in the skin, it's not gonna brown because what's happening is water is evaporating, keeping it at the boiling point of water. You gotta get it all dried out, get it up there. So you want a hot oven temperature to evaporate the moisture as fast as you can. In fact, that's another good reason why salting works because um, you, you got to leave it in the refrigerator 24, 48 hours, and in the refrigerator, it's very dry, right? It's a cold, so it dries out the skin. And if you can in any way leave it in the refrigerator, whether you salt it or not, overnight, let the skin dry out because it evaporates well in the refrigerator. Then you won't have as much evaporation. You'll get the temperature up high. It'll start to brown. Uh, and, if, of course, if you use a somewhat hotter oven than a colder oven, it's going to brown that much faster. And then in the other little trick that America's Test Kitchen does is they will take a, just a, like a teaspoon of baking powder, slight weak alkali, mix it with some oil, a couple tablespoons, and rub it all over the turkey skin. That alkaline speeds up the browning reaction. So the browning reaction, which is known as the Maillard reaction, 
increases 500 fold when you go from a slightly acid to a slightly alkaline pH. So it speeds it way up. So you're going to get lots of browning. And that's what, you know, creates the color and the crispness of the skin. So that's another thing you can do if you want. And also if you rub oil or even a little butter on at the start, right, it's going to, it's going to shield the skin. It's going to reduce the evaporation of what moisture is there. So it's going to reduce evaporative cooling. So it's going to allow that oil to heat up above 300 degrees very quickly and start the browning process. So we could have talked turkey for another 15 minutes, and we will return to turkey again later in the episode, I promise. We'll be heading into the kitchen with Crosby shortly. But first, a quick detour to share some of his tips on my personal favorite, side dishes. And we have a lot of tips on side dishes now and again later in the episode. So you will have all of your needs covered, Amy. Excellent. Thank you. And so first of all, when it comes to mashed potatoes, Crosby says your best bet is Yukon Gold potatoes because they're much creamier. Russet potatoes are too mealy, he says, while waxy potatoes like red or new potatoes won't give you the right texture either. But we know that white potatoes aren't exactly the healthiest choice. So Crosby says you can mimic mashed potatoes by using cauliflower. Add some creme fraiche or even a little cream cheese and you won't know the difference. And while we're talking healthy swaps, ditch the candied sweet potatoes covered in marshmallows. Crosby says that an enzyme in sweet potatoes breaks down as they're heated, releasing plenty of natural sugar and sweetness. His suggestion? While your turkey is resting before being carved, throw some sweet potatoes in to roast in a 400 degree oven for a simple and delicious side. And this roasting strategy works for many other veggies too, things like turnips or parsnips. It's a way to bring out flavor while also preserving the nutrients in the food. One vegetable that tastes great roasted is Brussels sprouts. So we headed into Crosby's kitchen for a demonstration. Cutting them, like I said, what damages the cells, right? If you smell where I've cut it, you know, you can, versus if you take one of those wherever they went to that a hole, you know, you won't get the same smell. We've created the chemistry that's now going on here that's creating the flavor. And step one when dealing with Brussels sprouts or any other cruciferous vegetable, those are things like cabbage, broccoli, or cauliflower, you have to start by chopping them. Crosby says you won't get much flavor until you actually cut those veggies. These isothiocyanates that are now been released, formed by the enzymes released when you cut the Brussels sprouts. So you don't want to chop them up too much, but you certainly want to cut them in half to start the flavor process going. These sprouts were coated in olive oil, some salt, and then roasted at 400 degrees for about 22 minutes before a final drizzle of balsamic vinegar. At this point, while all this cooking was happening, Crosby's wife, Christine, jumped in. Why don't we keep those outer leaves? She wanted to try a quick experiment. Taking the discarded Brussels sprout leaves, sprinkling them with salt, and then roasting them. Sure. Yeah. Oh, roast them in the oven until they're crispy? Well, they will. They'll crisp right up. They will. All right, we'll do them separately. So we got now. I got to rinse my hands off. I'm going to salt and pepper that. And once the oven gets up to temperature, they're going to be ready to go in. The simple act resulted in bold flavors, an example of chemistry in action. Try one. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. They do. But now go taste the raw leaf and see what a total difference it is. Huh? All the chemistry that's gone on changing that flavor. Oh, we're coming up here. Two more minutes. And there's plenty of science behind other decisions in the kitchen. The bigger grains tend to stick a little bit more. For example, the salt you decide to use. And you know there's a big difference in brands of kosher salt based on their particle size. Smaller crystals will pack tighter and so you get more crystals, more weight. 
in a teaspoon of one versus the other. The person I gave this lecture with at the, a symposium here in Boston not long ago, and she's a really, really good nutritionist, but she always recommends the one with the big crystals because you end up using less. Half the weight of salt and sodium in your diet is just one easy way of cutting down on it. So let's put these in. Now back to those Brussels sprouts you were cooking, Noah. Yeah, if these were smaller, they'd be a little bit browner. So, all right, we'll take them out now anyways, even though they, they should have browned more than this. And so apparently the sprouts we bought were a little too big, according to Crosby. They were about two inches when one inch is ideal. And the reason is that the smaller sprouts will brown more easily, leading to more flavor. Still, the results were pretty delicious. That's good. On the bottoms, you see, the bottoms have browned up really well, so. I'll drizzle a little of this on here, huh? And then you can do the critical taste test. But they're a good texture. They're browned enough. So one other interesting side note from our time in the kitchen, we discussed the sometimes negative reputation that Brussels sprouts have among kids. Mainly because people probably cook them whole and don't chop them like Crosby suggested. And boil instead of roasting. Exactly. So according to Crosby, there's actually a specific age when children's eating habits are at their pickiest. Kids at the age of six have been shown to be at the maximum point of food dislike. <laughs> um, where they, you know, they'll eat anything when they're really young and then they start to get really fussy around six. And then they'll gradually, as they get later Older teenagers, they start to come back and learn to like other and more uh, diverse flavors of things. But, you know, once they, if they learn to not like something at that age of six, it's going to take them a while to recover. Amy, we've talked a lot about the foods you'll find on your Thanksgiving table, but have you ever thought about why the holiday spread is so delicious? It turns out that there's a lot of science behind the flavors on your plate, especially when it comes to umami, that deep, rich, savory flavor. And we talked about that in the second part of our interview with Crosby, and he started our look at flavors by describing a dish that's been a staple in his family for years. You know, the side dish that's been a tradition here in our house that, again, my wife's been making, Christine, for many, many, many years is, is this uh, Julia Child's recipe for brown braised onions. The little pearl onions, they're small little things. And you, you saute them in some a mixture of a little oil and butter. You brown them. You cook them a good long time, and you brown them with thyme. And, um, and then you cook them, finish cooking them with, with uh, beef stock and wine. And they cook, and they cook, and they cook, and they develop incredible flavor. And, and one of the things that I mentioned, um, same with making gravy. If you want to make tons of flavorful or, or gravy, is this compound that is formed in onions. When you cook them slowly for a long period of time, especially if they've been cut up or cooked a lot, the compound that's formed in onions that makes your eyes tear, you know, which only, only happens when you damage the cells. You know, it's not there in the onion by itself. You, know, you can put an onion up to your face, you don't smell it, it doesn't make you tear, but as soon as you chop it, it does, right? Well, that compound, it forms slowly over a couple of hours, this other compound that has an immense beefy, savory, gravy-like aroma and flavor. So when you make, you make a stock, you know, with the parts that you don't normally cook from a turkey, like the turkey neck and the giblets and things, along with chopped up onions and carrots, and you'll form this compound slowly. And it's been 
An actual study was done, published in the Journal of Agricultural and Food Chemistry that showed this compound had the most flavor impact of any compound in, in gravy, in, in creating gravy flavor. And the same compound is going to be formed when you make these brown braised onions and cook them for a couple of hours. You know, and they're super umami flavor, super intense, uh, wonderfully flavorful. Beyond onions, I mean, there are there kind of ways to infuse that into other parts of the Thanksgiving meal? Because then that's the flavor profile I think a lot of people love. So what are some other ways you can kind of make sure you're incorporating umami in, into other dishes? You know, mushrooms, if you want to saute mushrooms, if you want to add them to the gravy or have them as a side dish, that's one. Or mix them in with other things. You could mix them in sauteed with, again, with Brussels sprouts and other cruciferous vegetables. The other thing that a lot of people probably don't think of using and probably feel they wouldn't like it is anchovies are an incredible incredibly strong source of umami. And you could, and I, I did this the other day because I was not convinced it really would happen, but you know, you can take anchovies and when you heat them up in olive oil, they literally do just fall apart and look like they're dissolving, but they pretty much disintegrate. You only put a tiny amount in, but they are such a potent source of umami flavor that you can put them in. And I mean, America's Test Kitchen has done this with lots of different dishes where they bump up the umami flavor and you don't even know there's anchovies in there but you know this is much more savory when they've been used in the recipe than when they've been left out so we've talked a lot about the act of cooking and things people can do but and we talked a little bit earlier about preparation so if you're someone who wants to cook things ahead of time like let's say you want to make some brussels sprouts ahead of time or make these brown braised onions ahead of time maybe the day before is there any way to do that and still kind of reserve the flavors and the textures that are so great about those foods? Yeah, and it's a good question because that comes back to planning, right? What are you going to make when? And anything you can do ahead of time is such a big advantage when it gets so busy during the day itself. And, you know, everything goes into making things on the spot. Well, you can, and anything you can make ahead of time. Well, those brown braised onions are actually great if you make them the day ahead or two days ahead. Refrigerate them. They're the kind of thing... And it seems like kind of umami-rich flavors are the kinds of things that actually build if you just let them sit there and let the flavors continue to develop in the refrigerator. I mean, you got to keep them in the refrigerator so they're safe. Uh, but the flavors will develop and build, so you can certainly develop those kind of side dishes. The kind of the sulfury flavor compounds you get in, in roasted Brussels sprouts, um, different kind of compounds there. You know, you can you, you develop other flavors, but I think the texture starts to suffer a lot in those. So those you're going to need to sort of make on the spot. As I say, put them in the oven and roast them while your turkey's resting so that they're fresh. I wouldn't make those ahead of time. But, you know, other things you can. You can mash potatoes and revive them later or sweet potatoes. Uh, the onions, you can do that. So there's many vegetables. The, the mashed cauliflower, you could. You could make them a day ahead of time. Throw them in the refrigerator and, and keep them and revive them. Again, during that 30 or 40 minutes while the turkey is resting and you're carving it. So th thinking about those and kind of knowing that you can do these things, I think, helps you to plan your day. All the desserts can be made ahead of time, right? Um, a lot of people do like to have soup at the beginning of their meal. You can certainly make that ahead of time, too. And soups are these kinds of things that often mellow in flavor over time because you get more flavors being actually developed through slow chemical reactions if they sit sit for a while. So make a soup a day or two ahead of time, and then you could serve that at the beginning of the meal. So we've talked a lot about flavor, and I, I'm i I'm a big, like, sweet and savory combination guy. So I think, uh -huh. you know, at Thanksgiving, you kind of have all this stuff in your plate, and you're kind of, like, searching for that, like, perfect bite that just 
I think balance is that. Like, is there a perfect Thanksgiving bite for you? Ooh. Like, maybe it's some turkey with some stuffing and some cranberry sauce. Like, is there a bite that you just... Like this, this tastes like Thanksgiving. To yeah, me. well, I guess I suppose I would, and I, I kind of like dark meat and turkey, you know, because it's really moist and juicy and more flavorful. But I would say the combination of that bite of that dark turkey meat with one of those brown braised onions, the combination where you get that umami from the brown braised onions, it's an intense flavor. If you've never had them, you should try them. Um, that really carries a f- flavor impact. It's really potent, really, really good. And I suppose the other thing, a little cranberry sauce, it's really, really tart, sweet tart at the same time. You know, again, along with some of that turkey is a great combination. The sweetness of the turkey and the sweet tart of the cranberry sauce is good. So do you have a favorite Thanksgiving food? Well, again, we come back to those brown braised onions. I'd have to say that's it. At this point, Christine jumped in again, offering some more insight into these famous brown braised onions. How, do you, how many do you make at a time, Christine? About 150 or so? Yeah. 75? The thing we have to warn you about, though, and she does it mostly, and our daughter will come and help her out, is peeling them. you got to peel off the the skin and the outer layer of so that you get down to the real tender, ripe onion, and that takes a couple of hours, right? A couple of hours sitting there just... Yes, you do. You do, because it's it's mind-numbing, and it's, it's slow tedious business but it's worth it in the end you know but it's it's a lot of work to warn you now you can buy these frozen pearl onions uh, they're not going to turn out the same they're really waterlogged and but these are because these have a lot more sugars in them that brown up and create lots of flavor you have to recruit just, the reinforcements for that so we've had our thanksgiving feast it's yeah. the next day leftovers yeah. i mean we could you know everyone can make the leftover turkey sandwich but is there anything that you oh darn that's that what i was is, gonna go for but is, well okay so <laughs> how, how do you how do you make your perfect like turkey leftover sandwich well i mean actually i like sandwich? turkey just leftover turkey heated up with all we save save the gravy save the vegetables and just i warm it up in the oven in combination so that's good but i mean a sandwich is actually it's great again with you want to put on the cranberry sauce if you got in there with little mayonnaise and turkey and cranberry sauce, um, some lettuce. I know if it was a sandwich, our daughter would absolutely have to have a tomato in there as well. So I don't like tomatoes so much in sandwiches, but you know, and the bread is important. Getting the right kind of bread, the flavor of bread is good, whether you go for sourdough bread or rye bread that we like a lot. Okay, so now we're all starving. Toasted or untoasted, <laughs> you know, that's another big, I don't like mine toasted. Christine, you like yours toasted? She normally would toast, and our daughter too, toast the bread for a sandwich, but I just like it plain, the way it is. You know, some mayonnaise, cranberry sauce, turkey, a little salt, pepper. Thanks again to Guy Crosby and his wife Christine for sharing all of their Thanksgiving and cooking knowledge. If you want to learn more about food science and Crosby's work, just head to our website, hsph.me slash thisweekinhealth. We'll also have a more detailed look at the Brussels sprout recipe that he cooked for us. And that's all for this extended edition of Harvard Chan This Week in Health. I'm Noah Levitt. And I'm Amy Monomiro. And as always, you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And if you're a fan, please leave a review. That will help more people discover the podcast.